0: to be back inside (laughs) and welcome online. Uh, We understand some people still aren't comfortable gathering. That's fine. Everyone's welcome. We're excited, most excited because the Holy Spirit's here, Uh, whether you're in here or any of our other rooms or online. So I'm going to dive right in. Which political party, the Republican or the Democratic, would you say is more Christ-like or Christian? Don't, don't shout your answer, yeah. <laughs> Recently, I was in a political conversation with a friend, and she shared a very intriguing statement, and it was this: "Jesus is not an elephant. Jesus is not a donkey. Jesus is a lamb." Okay, this is your only time to laugh in the whole service. Jesus is not a Republican elephant. Jesus is not a Democratic donkey. Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed his blood that his government might be established here on earth, and he might now reign on high as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a lot of animal imagery in a very politically confusing time, right? And uh, last week, Huddy introduced us to our new message series, Citizens of Heaven, and he said this way, Jesus is not the president of presidents. Jesus is not, you know, the dictator of dictators. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He said, quoting Isaiah 9, the government is on Jesus' shoulders and his government, his rule will never end ever. So it's just going to continue on and on forever and ever. Now, at the same time, those of us who follow Jesus, we bear his divine image, if you will, which is an incredible responsibility and privilege. We get to represent, as citizens of heaven, the government or the kingdom of God here. But at the same time, we're citizens of this nation or whatever nation is your home. We we have dual citizenship if you will citizens of heaven citizens of earth and as such we want to support and honor our government here on earth and you know it can be challenging really challenging right now because we're in a very hot and contentious political season so today's message is contending for God's government okay here on earth with our vote and our voice. Now, we can contend for God's government in a lot of different ways. Today, just because of the time and season we're in, we're going to address how do you contend for God's government, His kingdom here on earth with our vote and our voice? And just want to take one moment here and say, what an incredible privilege we have as citizens of the United States of America to vote. Okay, and I particularly wore red, white, and blue today to show I am very, very proud and I am very, very pleased and honored to have the privilege to vote. I didn't always feel all that passionate about it until I traveled around the world and visited other nations where they don't have that privilege at all. As a matter of fact, Happy, my husband was in a conversation this week with a man who's part of our church, but he's from another nation that lives under an oppressive regime. And this man said to Happ, I don't get it. Why are people so complaining and angry at this government and and, and not even taking advantage of being able to vote? It's like, I know. It is a true privilege. And if you're an African-American male, you've only had that privilege for 150 years. And if you're a woman, we've only had the privilege for 100 years. No, people fought for the right to vote. And so I want to encourage us, take it seriously, uh, what we have. And, you know, when we ask the question, okay, and we're going to be looking at this today, well, what's the Christian vote? I'm not going to tell you. I am going to tell you, though, that's a very difficult question to answer, and all of history testifies to this. So whether you're looking at Nazi Germany, where 94% of the people under Hitler's regime and who supported Hitler, who exterminated 6 million Jews, they called themselves Christians. Or the Rwandan genocide in Africa in 1993-94, where two tribes resulted in 1 million deaths, both tribes Christian, So it's not always easy to identify. What, what is the Christian vote? More on that later. But I want to attend just for a moment to this issue of how do we use our voice to contend for God's government. And I'm going to encourage us, why don't we use that voice to talk to God? Why don't we use our voice to pray (laughs) versus complain, right? Or post something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Now let's use our voice to pray. Actually, that's in line with what the Apostle Paul told his disciple Timothy in a time when the government was not at all kind to Christians. And he said this. It'll be up on the screen. From uh, Timothy, his letter to Timothy, Paul said, Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God, to intercede with intense passion for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. Whoa. <laughs> and they, are political leaders, would embrace his life in the full knowledge of the truth. That is one incredible exhortation, right? That we would pray for everyone, whether we agree with them or not. And I say pray for every candidate right now. Why? So we, as believers, as citizens of heaven, can live tranquil, undisturbed lives with what? Freedom to worship. Freedom to worship our awe-inspiring God. And let's not forget... Paul ends that prayer with, and specifically, we're praying for our political leaders that they would embrace God's life and God's full knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we echo that prayer right now. And even as we open our hearts and minds to you, Holy Spirit, to teach us afresh about contending for God's government here on earth we are trusting in you that you move on the hearts of our leaders that you reveal truth to our leaders that you empower and enable us to continue to live lives of peace and tranquility freedom to worship you in Jesus name amen so i'm going to focus a little bit now on this whole issue of voting and Voting, of course, is very intricately tied to politics. And I've made the statement before, and I've heard it, and it's, I believe it's a wrong statement. Politics aren't that important. No, actually, politics are very important. And politics is very important because politics affects policies. Policies affect people, and people matter to God. So, politics are important. They do affect policies. So in 1975, I began my first career as a special education teacher in Urbana in the public schools, and that was the very year that the Education for All Handicapped Children Act passed. And that was an incredible experience for me. I got to partake of the first ever classroom where we mainstreamed special education children into the regular classroom. And we ensured a good education for all child, no matter what their special needs were. And that happened because of a policy. Very positive. But we all know there's negative policies too. Of course, most of us here would be aware of the 1973 Roe versus Wade policy that made abortion totally legal and affected millions of lives of unborn babies. So yes, politics are important because they create policies that affect people and people matter to God. Now, our participation in politics is just one way of accomplishing God's will on earth. There's a lot of other ways, and there's a lot of other ways to contend for that government. But today, we're asking, okay, how do I, as a citizen of heaven, use my vote and my voice here on earth? How do I align with God's government? And the dilemma is, there's just a ton of misunderstanding and disagreement. Well, what is God's government? And particularly as it relates to politics and our voting, because There's Christians on both sides. Now, I'm well aware there's more than two political parties, but I'm just gonna speak now to the left, the right, to the Democrat, to the Republican, and I'm here to say I know awesome, passionate, committed Christians on both sides in both parties. Okay, and this is where the dilemma comes when we say, well, then what's God's view? What's God's government? You know, again, let's just take the issue of life god cares deeply for life right (laughs) and so one group would say yes god cares for life so we we advocate and we support candidates who say no to the death penalty right and then on the other side same thing we know god is for life and so we support candidates who say we want to abolish abortion that is murder and so two sides another issue God cares about creation, absolutely, right? He's the creator. He cares about his earth, okay? But one side might say, then we support candidates that really advocate for personal, private, awesome property owners stewarding their, their property, taking care of the environment. And the other side would say, God cares about creation. We, we have to advocate for candidates who support global warming initiatives, and other things that protect our environment. There's lots of issues. I'm not going to go to all the issues, but whether it's hunger or housing or immigration or security or freedom, lots of issues, and actually God cares about all of it. But it makes it very confusing when we say, okay, how do I contend for God's government? Like with my vote. We already settled the voice issue. We're going to pray, right? (laughs) But now we're just saying in regards to our vote. Well, this word contending, you know, that means like "Mm, fight for, advocate, mm, take a stand. I don't like it. I mean, I chose it for this message, but I don't like it. Why? Because my personality is peacekeeper, not peacemaker. I just want to keep everybody happy, no tension, no conflict. It makes for a really dysfunctional home. Anyway, (laughs) it does. It really made for a very difficult past six months because I, in the midst, you know, it's no secret, this has been a very contentious political season, right? And divisions have abounded, whether that's divisions in families or friendships or churches. You know, people have left this church over politics recently. And I don't think God's too happy with any of it. And I found myself being unnaturally agitated and, and angry and fighting with my husband, happy over politics. and like, okay. Holy Spirit got my attention. I was really convicted. Reexamined, like, whoa, okay, what do I really believe? Why do I believe what I believe? What's, how does that reflect it in my political uh, involvement? And the first thing God spoke to me very clearly was, thou shalt not be a jerk, Now, it's not the new 11th commandment, but you can turn to your neighbor and say, thou shalt not be a jerk. Wow, I could really hear the enthusiasm with that. But anyway, this is the deal. (laughs) That's actually the title of a book that I was led to by the Holy Spirit by a very humble uh, Korean-American pastor. He's out of Seattle. His name is Eugene Chow. And the subtitle of that book is christians engaging a christian's guide to engaging politics do i agree with everything that pastor Child says no but i was totally like wow eyes open to a lot of different things that i hadn't seen before and i was really motivated and challenged by the holy spirit to read books that i knew i would not agree with but they were written by christians not just secular people you know contending out politically no and i read a whole uh, plethora of books whether it was by a black author a white author a korean author a man a woman all all of it and i invited the holy spirit lead and guide me into all truth please aren't you glad we have the holy spirit i mean when we're left to ourselves our brains just go cuckoo But I was so grateful, and I'm not here to say I have it all figured out as a matter of fact. In some ways, I'm more confused than ever, so um, you can leave now if you want, but it's okay. I'm just saying I haven't fully grasped God's government. I'm still learning. He's such an amazing teacher. I wanna invite you into the learning process because this I did discover. Jesus' government is not necessarily synonymous with or harmonious with our government. Now, that's very obvious if you live in an oppressed country. So two weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call with a good friend in a foreign country that is oppressed, and he told me just three or four days prior to our call, his entire church had been shut down. They cannot meet. So that's obvious. That's not God's government, right? To deny people worship, or if a government is oppressing millions, killing them, confiscating their property, no, we know that's not God. But it's not quite so easy to discern in a nation like ours, which has been known as a Christian nation. And so we need to first, though, understand God's government and then how does that relate to our nation's government. And we really, I, I was challenged, stop looking at it, die, with political party eyes. That's what I was doing. Like I, I was trying to like, no, take off those glasses, okay, and now just... Begin to look at it with God's government, and wow, I discovered, yeah, I I was like discovering an interesting framework, and here's a hint, it's cross-shaped. Now, I went back to the Bible, I asked God, give me more understanding here so I can contend in good conscience. Folks, it's really important to have a clear conscience with all of this. You know, whatever you do that's not of faith is sin. I want to have a clear conscience. I want to contend with both my vote and my voice when it comes to God's government here on earth. So, what did I discover about the definition of God's government? Well, the scriptures show over and over and over, I'm talking hundreds of times, hundreds of times there's two foundations to God's government and they don't necessarily align either with our nation or maybe our political party but if I said to you what do you think the foundations of God's government are you might answer I mean I'm talking about how I was answering as I was studying this it's like well wisdom right yeah no power Mm. no truth no love right all of it right All those are important, and they are important to God. They're not the foundation of his government, okay? Now, what I discovered through hundreds of verses, and I'm just going to read one to you, and this is from Psalm 89, verse 14. It says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Okay. Righteousness and justice, all throughout Old and New Testament, are the two foundations of God's rule, His government, His kingdom, His will. And it's important to know it's permeated with His steadfast love. And that's a Hebrew word that has absolutely, is untranslatable into any other language. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And it just means a merciful, kind, unfailing love that we can't even begin to comprehend, (laughs) okay? So God's government, two foundations, righteousness, justice, permeated with his steadfast love and, of course, his faithfulness, which is amazing. And this is what really hit me as I studied It's not that I haven't heard the words justice and righteousness. They are fairly complicated. But what I discovered is these words have been hijacked. They've been redefined. And that makes a big difference. It's like we won't have clear understanding of God's government if we don't actually understand the meaning, right? And so justice in particular has been hijacked by our culture, right? They say it's just to loot on Michigan Avenue and rob all the stores that's not justice and on the other hand the word righteousness has been hijacked where pe- well that's the right thing and denying people their rights because this is what's right it's like no that's like religion has hijacked righteousness the culture has hijacked justice we all need a big dose of love through it all And we need God's definition of love because trust me, that's totally hijacked by both religion and the culture of what it really, what God's love is. Okay, so, okay, Holy Spirit, take me on a journey back to the beginning. You know, the Bible tells one story, so let's start with the beginning so that we get the beginning right. And sure enough, there in the garden, that's where God first gave government to people, remember? He said, let us make man and woman in my image and let them rule, let them have dominion, let them govern. When, he, when we say we are made in the image of God, that has a lot of deep, deep meaning and a lot of different connotations. The one I want to focus on right now, when God says he made us in his image, it means he gave us that deep inner desire for justice was what's right What's fair? That's from God. See, that's his image. And at the same time, he gave us his righteousness, which is what? Again, lots of connotations, but here, as it's used all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, it is an ethical word. It does have to do, obviously, with character, but specifically, how do we treat other people? Are we treating them right? So what was God's justice and righteousness in the beginning? It's that first of all, we would see every human being, every male, every female, as made in His image of having incredible worth, of having incredible value, of being equal with dignity. Folks, that is radical, that is radical. Because every government, practically every civilization, always does what? Elevates one group over another, saying they're more valuable, they're superior, they're inferior. Oh, not our God. His justice and his righteousness is fairness for everyone made in the image of God of much worth and value. But here's the kicker. It's according to his standards of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And we discover that too in Genesis. Why? Remember that tree? God said, don't eat of that. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why aren't we supposed to eat of it? Because we're going to mess it up. And that's exactly what we did. And we got plunged into sin, a sin that does what? It twists what's good and what's evil. It twists justice. And suddenly, injustice and unrighteousness is rampant, testified to through the entire Old Testament, all the stories. And it comes most prominently that's mentioned over and over and over again by all the prophets, whether it's Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Amos, they all are like, You have to stop oppressing the vulnerable, you have to stop taking advantage of the weak, the poor, the immigrant. The fatherless, the widow, the heart of God is to see them as valuable, see them as equal, and provide for them the justice that they deserve. Of course, massive failure. And there's so many scriptures that that I could read you about this. I'll just read one, (laughs) okay, from Jeremiah. You know, he's known as the weeping prophet, He got this, he felt God's heart for the vulnerable. He felt God's heart for the destruction and the misuse of justice and righteousness in the earth that his government had totally collapsed, if you will. He says, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, that's the immigrant, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, nor shed innocent blood. That could be the unborn. So the prophets, who repeated this over and over again, that God's government was destroyed, said, he's sending a deliverer. He's sending a deliverer, and he is going to bring God's restored vision of justice and righteousness. And, of course, that deliverer is none other than God himself, Jesus Christ. And he comes to earth, and what's the first thing he says? The kingdom of God is here. The government of God has arrived. The rule of God is now among you. (laughs) And how did he, like, display that? Well, much to the surprise of everyone, he says, again, initially, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. What? Oh, yeah. Folks, this governmental issue, it's not just what you can see and the the governments here on earth. There's a whole rogue government behind Satan and all his demons, all the false gods of the world, ruling in the heavenlies. Jesus comes to take them on, take them on in the power of the Spirit. And they often manifest in earthly governments still to this day. But what you need to know is we're dealing upending this entire culture of injustice and unrighteousness, folks, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? And that's what Jesus demonstrated. Now, that infuriated the local governments. It infuriated the local religious leaders, as a matter of fact. Uh, it was a very oppressive government at the time, the Romans, but he doesn't take on the Romans. Instead, he says, oh, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. What? This is a radical new way of life. Who can live that way? That's the point, you can't. You see, he has a solution. He has a solution that was prophesied, but totally not known. He's going to have to go and take on all the injustice, all the unrighteousness. He's going to have to shed his blood, defeat the power of the enemy, rise again, and offer us a brand new life, a brand new righteousness, his very own, so that we can once again begin to see people as he sees them, made in his image of much worth and value. And he demonstrated this over and over and over again, much to the fury, particularly of the religious leaders. How? By ministering to the broken. By ministering to the poor. He said, oh, I bring good news to the poor. By welcoming the women. By freeing the demonized. By taking those in bondage to sin and saying, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. How, wait, how can you do that? Because I'm bringing a brand new righteousness that is going to empower you now to live once again under my rule of justice and righteousness for all. Wow. So the Deliverer has come. I like uh, Isaiah's prophecy that was reiterated by Matthew as he described this unseen vision of Jesus bringing again God's government of justice and righteousness. He said, God had said, I will breathe my spirit upon him. He will decree justice to the nations as he describes Jesus. Jesus. He will not quarrel or be found yelling in public. Hmm. That's Jesus' method of decreeing and demonstrating justice. And he won't brush aside the bruised, the broken. He will be gentle with the weak and feeble until his victory releases justice. And that's exactly what his victory at the cross, his own willingness To take on all the injustice, all the unrighteousness of humans, all the sin of the world into his own body, die to defeat the rogue government of Satan himself, rise from the dead, usher in a new kingdom of redeemed justice and righteousness, and now we can partake of that, and we get to go and give it away to other people. And one of the ways we're looking at today is how do we do that? with our vote and our voice. How do we be these incredibly spirit-empowered, righteous sons and daughters flowing with the merciful love for the poor, for the weak, for the oppressed, for those in bondage? How? It's a radical, selfless way of life. Well, I tell you, as I prepare to vote, I'm checking my heart. Am I caring more for myself? Am I voting more in alignment with what I want? Or am I tuning into Jesus' heart for everyone, particularly those who are oppressed? And you know, both sides, I don't care what political party you know, Republican or Democrat, both have good programs, good, good initiatives for the poor, for the oppressed, for the immigrant, for the ones that, that Jesus has sent us to proclaim good news. So it's not just so easy as saying, well, I'm going here or I'm going there. No. I'm looking at the candidates. I'm looking at their record. I'm looking at their character. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit... How can I vote for those who will govern with your definition of justice, your definition of good and evil, right and wrong, and the righteousness of Jesus treating every human being as made in his image of much worth and value due to the power of the cross? I want my conscience to be clear. I want my conscience to be clear. You know, I'm more convinced than ever that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's government and it's very misunderstood. I'm more convinced than ever that God cares deeply, deeply, deeply for the vulnerable, whether those are the unborn, those trafficked for sex, the elderly with no family, those in chronic pain, the poor, the victims of domestic violence, the homeless, the hungry. Again, good policies on both sides. Do they align with the government of Jesus? Well, I'm convinced I need to put on my Jesus government goggles. I can't ignore the power of the cross. I can't treat justice culturally, and I can't treat righteousness religiously. I need to have the redeemed vision of God's kingdom in my heart as I go to vote. And I'm going to continue to use my voice to pray, just as I encouraged us at the beginning, to pray that prayer of Paul. To pray for all those in authority, whether I agree with them or not. To pray for every political leader and representative with passionate intercession so we can live tranquil, undisturbed lives, worshiping the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. And so what they might come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and his truth and his government of Justice in righteousness overflowing with steadfast love. We need you, Holy Spirit. We put our hearts before you. We commit to prayer. We commit to, to allowing you, Holy Spirit, to realign our hearts and minds that we once again know your justice and your righteousness that your kingdom can come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teaching.